Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, and welcome back. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Thanks for downloading this podcast again. We are now releasing every episode on Tuesdays, so I don't know if you need to update something or what, but new episodes of this podcast will be coming out every Tuesday. Uh, we just have a couple more for this year, and then we'll be taking a few weeks off and return in January. Uh, in this episode, which was a really fun discussion with uh, Martin Garrow, who created the L.A. Complex, which is an awesome show which you should go watch, um, Kent Osborne and Pendleton Ward. Uh, Penn is the creator of Adventure Time, and Kent is the head writer. Um, we had our first time in which someone brought visual aids. Uh, Penn brought some really neat uh, stuff, some kind of story-generating um, exercises that they do, which we showed, and which you can see uh, on our new official Nerdist Writers Panel website, which is benblackerwrites.com. That's my name, Ben Blacker, just like it sounds, W-R-I-T-E-S, dot com. Um, and I'll, I'll throw that stuff up that uh, Penn sent me, uh, so you can check those out. He does talk through them a little bit on the podcast, so if you're listening in your car... Don't worry about it. Uh, he talks to, through them in a very amusing way. Um, this website is something I've been meaning to do for a while. It's why I had some of you awesome fans do transcriptions for me, um, where I'll just kind of put up stuff that I found interesting from the panels or things that I learned from doing these panels or from uh, my own experiences writing for television and the stage and what have you. Um, so check out benblackerwrites.com. Let me know what you think of it. It is obviously a work in progress. I really just put it up to put up these. Uh, the impetus was these pen ward exercises. Um, so I hope you enjoy those. But I'll be updating it as often as I have time. Um, now that Jane Espenson is not regularly updating her blog, which was an invaluable resource, um, maybe, you know, we can, we can pick up the slack a little bit. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, and I'll let you know all about this stuff on Twitter and Facebook. So like the Nerdist Writers panel on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and all that stuff. And as usual, when you leave a review on iTunes, it is of great help to us. Uh, it helps us continue to bring you the podcast. So please leave uh, a review, even if it's just, you know, clicking five stars and then walking away. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much and enjoy this podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. A writer-director with credits including Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, and Bored to Death, our first panelist is the creator of the exceptional CW series, The L.A. Complex. Please welcome Martin Garrow. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you. Good to be here. An Emmy-nominated writer, storyboard artist, and performer, our next panelist has worked on SpongeBob SquarePants, Camp Laszlo, Flapjack, and more. He is currently the head writer on Adventure Time. Please welcome Kent Osborne. I can't. Hi. And finally, please welcome the creator of Adventure Time, writer, director, animator Pendleton Ward. <laughs> Hi, Pen. Hello. Uh, thank you guys again for being here. Uh, let's get right into it. We have a lot to talk about. Um, and I said I was going to jump to the most pressing question in my mind, which I'll ask uh, Penn and Kent, you guys first. Uh, Adventure Time is such a fun show. Uh, it feels almost limitless in the kinds of stories that you can tell. How do you put limits on it? How do you find the right tone? How do you decide what is right for the show, what is not right for the show? Take us inside for a minute and let us know maybe some conversations that you guys have had between yourselves. Uh, um, the uh, I with every episode, uh, I just I'm just trying to make the best thing that we can make that week with every episode. Like what, and I ask everyone on the crew what what should we do? <laughs> what should we do? Um, and I usually turn to the board artists and ask them if they have any ideas for what they'd like to make. I feel like right now I, I think about the show like it's a shorts program for the writers and storyboard artists who work on the show. And every, every, every board team uh, takes the characters in a different direction, I think, and has a different way to write uh, the characters and puts themselves into the, the show in different ways. And so I usually just ask them what they want to do because I respect all the people working on the show so much and I just want their ideas uh, on TV. Um, and so that's, that's where I start, I guess. Uh, talk to us for a second then, if we can just step it back. How did you put this team together and how did you guys start working together, Tim? Uh, well, you, the team, well, I found a lot of dudes um, and ladies through uh, comic conventions. I'd go to conventions and and uh, go up and down the, the indie aisles at at San Diego and uh, Comic Con and and look through stuff and um, Jesse Moynihan and Cole Sanchez are in the audience over there and they're they're storyboard artists on the show uh, and I think I met Jesse at SPX um, and got his comic there and, and liked it a bunch and and that's how I found out about his work and Cole I met on Flapjack, which was the first uh, show that I worked on as a storyboard artist, which was another storyboard-driven show, which is how I learned to run a show like that. But that's also where I met Kent. Kent was the head writer at, on Flapjack. Okay. And Kent, it was Flapjack, which is also such a great show. Um, was that, uh, did that speak to your perspective? Uh, you know, is that the kind of comedy that, or storytelling that you are interested in? Oh, yeah, sure. But there's also Thurip, uh He's all those shows I've worked on have had like really, um, their creators have been really strong, uh, hilarious personalities, and they so it was, it's kind of easy to come in and like help them, mm-hmm. um, and you know everyone in the room does something different. Um, but uh, it, it was a good writers room because it had it was uh, Thurip and then JG Quintel who does mm-hmm. the regular show, and uh, Steve Little was in there, and uh, a bunch of people. Uh, Myself, 
Um, but yeah, a bunch of people from regular show, John Infantino and Mike Roth and Pat McHale, who's worked on Adventure Time from the beginning with, with Penn and Penn was in there. It was great. And everyone was like excited and, 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 uh, it was, it, was, that was the best, that was, it was great. So tell me a little bit about... What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what, was it great was my question. It was, yes. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you guys took what you did on Flapjack and brought it to the new series. Uh, uh, um, when uh, I just had so much fun on Flapjack. Uh, and whenever I wanted to do... Uh, anything on on my episode that I was writing, if I, I would go to Thorup and ask him, uh, "Hey man, can I go work in animatics? Can I go to the post house and watch you edit? You know, like edit this together? And can I like scream for a sound effect in this episode?" And every time he'd answer, "Of course, friend. This is a fun factory." <laughs> um, and I was like, "Ah, oh, thanks." And it was so much fun. Uh, that's what I tried to. I tried to emulate him uh, when I. I'm not as silly maybe as he is he's so much fun to be around Thurup Van Orman uh, he's a delight that's, <laughs> that's what he would say um, and he like wrestles people he uh, he'd just wrestle you all the time try and get you to wrestle I didn't like it but he would <clears throat> so you didn't bring that to Adventure Time <laughs> he'd get me to I don't know yeah uh, no, I didn't um, but that's what I yeah that's what I, that's what I learned from I guess and all right, and we'll talk about the specifics of how that show is put together and how you guys put together the show in a minute, but I want to move over to Martin for a moment oh, and ask sure. kind of the same question. You know, um, L.A. Complex is a soap in many ways. It's mm-hmm. also a much smarter uh, show than a lot of the soaps that are on CW even. Um, but how do you know, and maybe, again, tell us about conversations you've had with your writers or things you've considered, uh, but how do you know how far to push these characters, how far is too far? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of an internal compass. I think that we all, you know, I'm, I, try, you know, try to surround myself by with really, really smart people as well in the room, and you just get a sense for it. I, I mean, for us, you know, we wanted to do a show that has uh, some truly dark uh, moments, and um, uh, for me, the the remember that first season of Mad Men that you watched? Did people watch? There's a show called Mad Men. Are people familiar with the show? It's a big hit. And um, uh, I remember watching the first season of that show and being like, oh, man, this show's so good. And it would stack up in my uh, DVR all the time. And I was like, uh, I was like, that's crazy that I'm not watching these all the time, let alone, like, never two in a row. And I realized, like, that first season, everyone was so sad. Like, it was a show that was just like, even the people that didn't know that they were sad, you were like, you're sad. I know where this is going. It's going to go to, like, a really terrible place for you. And so for, for me, that first season of The LA Complex was a lot about isolation and what a terrible city this is to live in sometimes. And so, but I didn't want to lose, I didn't want to lose people while still delving into the dark stuff. So for, for us, it's all about balance. You know, there's, there's six, there's basically six stories an episode and we try to do as a rule, you know, three of them are on the lighter side and three of them are on the darker side. So, you know, for every guy that you throw in like a bunny suit, you can have like a closeted rapper try to kill himself. And it balances, it like balances out in a weird way. It makes for some odd scene transitions occasionally. But um, that's, 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 that's the basic, you know, idea behind the show of how to not make it too dark or too light. Uh, and I, I wonder, I mean, maybe, maybe you've already answered this, but looking at individual storylines within an episode, I feel like 
they have equal dramatic weight, and yet you make one really light and one really dark. Well, they all have the basic amount of time. You know, like right. they're basically weighted evenly within the show. Some, you know, more or less. Um, we go to each character once an act for six acts, and so, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I I, th- I think it's really like we really wanted the show to be one of the funniest one hours on television. I don't think you know we're necessarily successful, but like that was really really important for us to make the comedy work. And if we could make the comedy work, then I in some ways the drama becomes earned and a little more palatable, so that you're not week in week out. You know, like the the last couple episodes of the first season, I feel like. We, we fucked with that balance a lot and everybody was in a really horrible place in their life <laughs> yeah. and it was, it, was, it was great I thought it was great because I like, I like you know, watching stuff like that but it, it, for week in and week out I think you need to strike a better balance and that's what we try to do yeah. and by that time too you're invested in the characters it's okay to take them to that dark place I think. yeah I, you know um, uh, a mutual friend of ours called me once and was like every time something good happens to one of these characters it gives me a knot in my stomach because I know something terrible is about to happen in the next scene like not even they can't even enjoy it just that episode so um so yeah so i think you know we don't want to lose that at all um let's talk about uh creating the two shows that we have represented here um and uh pen correct me if i'm wrong but you created a adventure time for frederator right yeah, Frederator, that's where it started. Did you have to pitch as part of that, or did you create the short? How did that work? I pitched Frederator at the time. That was taking, um, they were taking pitches from anyone off the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the coolest thing about Frederator is that if you don't have representation, there you're in. And you can go talk to them and just find them through the Internet. <laughs> uh, and that's how I didn't, you know, I was right out of school. I had, I had nothing going on and I heard that they were taking pitches and that was my first lead and I, I I went in and they were looking for storyboard pitches at the time and so I drew what I thought was a good storyboard which was a miserable storyboard uh, and I pitched that and they liked it and they made the pilot. And so what was involved in that, uh, those storyboards, how much does it, did it resemble the show we know now? Um, I don't know. I think it resembles fairly closely. I don't. Yeah. Know. The characters look a little wonky and different. It was six years ago or so um, that I did that. Um, my drawings have gotten better. <laughs> uh, what, is that... what? What was the process like working with them? How did did they? You know, did they hold your hand through the animation? Again, this is like you were the first person, first time to do this. No, I didn't. Ha- I had <laughs> questions, and they didn't know. They were just like, "Do it," and I was like, uh, "Okay." What did you do? Uh, I sat there and drew like a comic, and I just drew out the comic, and I hired my roommates to do the backgrounds and color for it, um, and that was it. And then. That's, I don't know. That's a, I feel like that's it. That's wild. Was this a story that you already had in your head, or was this something you created for this pitch? I created it for the pitch. At the time, I just wanted to, I just wanted to sell an idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and so I just would, ske- I would schedule um, pitch, pitches without ideas, and then that would be my deadline to crunch like, an idea together uh, for the pitch. And I would stay, I remember a lot of like, like passing out and like drawing like lines, uh, and letting my pen like fall on the on the paper and like go for a little bit, uh, and waking up and be like, Ugh, and I have to like redo that. Uh, 
Uh, a lot, just a lot of crunching at the last minute. That's how I get anything done, I think. It's just very, 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 very last minute. Really? Uh, that's, that's the only way my body will do anything. <laughs> uh, you work for a big company now, though. I, Aren't they all over sucks. you about that? I, I have to tell production to lie to me um, when deadlines are <laughs> really? so that I can crunch like a week before they're due. And then they tell me, oh, I have time. And I'm such an idiot that that fools me every time. <laughs> like, I, I can set my clock early and believe it every time. Uh, even if I know, it's like, eh, no, I'm trying to trick myself. I'll still fall for it. Uh, that's, yeah. Well, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Works. You, you um, thought this panel was last week, actually. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> Yeah. It's a true story. I'm not, making a, I'm not making a joke. Here. Thank you for being here. <laughs> um, let me jump over to Martin and then back to Kent. Um, Martin, tell us about pitching L.A. Complex. Well, it was super weird because um, uh, I was uh, uh, doing Bored to Death at the time, and um, it was kind of between seasons. And I was looking to do something in Canada. I'm Canadian because uh, I had signed this like exclusive deal with HBO, but Canada was outside of that. So I was looking to do something just with Bored to Death gave you about three or four months off. And, and you know, I like working. And, and you found the loophole. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I can do something. And uh, my agent kept saying, you should meet with these Degrassi guys. These Degrassi guys are awesome. And I was like, I bet they're super awesome, but like, what are we, I don't, what am I going to do with the Degrassi guys? Um, and uh, he was like, just take the meeting, take the meeting. And um, uh, I don't know if any of you have been on like a ge- what they call like a general meeting, but it's basically like you go and you sit in a room with somebody and you try to find any sort of common ground. Like, oh man, real estate, right? Or like, oh geez, couches, and uh, <laughs> uh, or like boys are the worst. And then um, uh, and then at the end of that meeting, you're like, oh, you seem nice. And you're like, oh yeah, you seem nice. And you never see that person again for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, uh, and so, but this one, so it's just a giant waste of time. But sometimes interesting things come out of them. So I, I met this. Guy guy named Steven Stone who's just a lovely guy and um, the first thing he said to me was like he was like well I don't want to waste your time and I was like wow this is wow that's what all this is really is us wasting each other's time and like we get to feel like we <coughs> were productive today and <coughs> go home and uh, you know get back to video games and then they uh, he was like listen we did this thing called Degrassi goes to Hollywood and uh, uh, it looks like it was entirely shot in LA so the kind of lead guy at CTV, which is Canada's largest kind of network, they want to do a show about Canadians in Los Angeles. Is that something you'd want to do? And I was like, I'm sorry. Wait, what's going on? Are you off-? like they were basically offering me, you know, to come in and do this? It was I'd already been all the development had been greenlit and all that stuff, and. Um, so I was like, well, that's crazy. I was like, is it a Degrassi spinoff? They're like, we don't know. We don't know what it is. And I was like, well, let me watch this movie. And it was pretty amazing that they were able to shoot, I think it was like 18 days in Toronto and two days in L.A. And it looked... Toronto has a strange geographical resemblance to Los Angeles that I had never considered. Uh, and then you, we just went, once I realized that, you know, I had a big meeting with the Brad, it was like one of those things where you're like, they're not really, this is never going to really happen though, right? And they're like, they were like, uh, they're like, yo, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want. Like, and I was like, well, I don't, I want it to be kind of the opposite of Entourage and I don't want it to be a success story. And um, I, I'm not good at writing songs, so I, it can't be like Glee. Like, it's not, it's not going to have any of that like super warm aspirational stuff. And uh, they're like, cool. So I wrote a pilot and um, uh, no one, got back to me for a year and I was like, oh that's that's neat. That was a neat thing. I got paid to like do and make 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 pretend and stuff. And then they were like, I got I got a call like a year later and they were like, hey we don't want to do the pilot. And I was like, cool. Uh, they're like, but we'll do six. 
<laughs> Would you like to do six of these? Um, and at the time, I was, I, I was, I was looking to do something. I, I was not sure whether I wanted to go do a third season of Bored to Death. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And uh, it was one of those crazy things. That I'm sure you felt the same way. You know, when you get greenlit, it's different. Like, I've made movies that, you know, like when you, you write a script and you're like, we know how to make this movie, and then they greenlight it. It makes total sense to you because you're like, yeah, the, script's is, the script is awesome. But whenever they greenlight a show, it's super terrifying because you've essentially – you're especially this way where there's no pilot, your proof of concept is like a 60-page document that they're now going to invest, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And we didn't know what the show was, so I immediately called everyone I knew, and I was like, hey, this is so fucking crazy. They gave us our own TV show. We can kind of do what we want. Um, Would you like to do this show? And I went to people that I knew would hate the show. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I knew they were like, they would never watch because the logline of the show is terrible. Like if you're like, it's like a bunch of twenty-somethings in Los Angeles. Everyone, I'd be like, ugh, no, no, thank you. So I went to people that I knew would not watch a show like this ever, and and then uh, I was like, if we can get them, like if we can get my, those writers to think like this is an awesome show, then maybe we have something here. <laughs> and that's always been kind of the premise of the show is to like try to fi- find people that would never watch it and yeah. try to figure out how to make them watch it. That's amazing, and it yeah. works. Um, I'm curious about one thing, if we can just like, sure. get specific for a second. So you, you didn't have to pitch the characters. You did, you, they essentially knew what they were getting I as far as... I pitched the world. I mean, yeah. like, there is, you know... Um, uh, uh, it was... Yeah, it was super strange. Like, it, we basically talked about more of what it wasn't than what it was. Like, I was, I was really adverse to it being like Entourage at all. Mm-hmm. Not because I think Entourage is a terrible show, but uh, Entourage had just done eight seasons. And I was like, there's really no more stories to tell in that world. And also, the stakes are so incredibly low. Like, like, I, like I sometimes feel bad for, like, E and stuff, I guess. But, like, it's like the, the big stakes are like, I don't know, man. Aquaman might not make $100 million. And you're like, you're like oh, this is just like my life. And, um, and so for, for us, it was, I was surrounded by people, including myself, that found this city to be, like, super desperate in, in a lot of ways. And I was like, it's weird that that, that story, which is 99% of the story for people that actually live here, wasn't being told and so um, so that was the attack it was more like I just gave like big Coles notes and then you know the development had already been picked up so it was it was I just kind of went away and wrote for a bunch and in writing that pilot script you had no idea where these characters were going no I had vague ideas I mean you know like whenever you're doing a pilot you should have some <laughs> hope of like you know it wasn't as arced out certainly as, as, it, as it was once we got picked up but um, um but no, it was you know we just really, we really tried to. Uh, I just, I just wanted to make something fun and exciting and uh, something that felt young and something that felt honest. Uh, you know, everyone when they start out, they just we you know the goal is to like make the best TV show in the world, and you're always going to fall short. But that was you know I had weird confinements of what kind of the show had to be about, and then I was like, let's just fill it with something that is going to be engaging and, 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 and interesting. That's a great way to look at uh, making a show, especially a network show. Yeah. Well, and we, we were super lucky because the first six episodes of the show were all picked up at once. And so we – and because I was going to – I directed four of the first six. So we, we wanted to um, – uh, we wrote all six before we shot a single frame, which is something that, you know, I picked up – you know, that's – HBO really likes yeah. to do that. And you usually never get – 
the time to do something like that. And so it was really allowed us to do exactly what you just said, which is like really arc out the characters. And because there's so many times when you get into the middle of a show where you're like, um, especially something that's as serialized as LA Complex, where you get to like episode 12 and you're like, fuck, if they had just said this in episode two or three. We could write ourselves out of a huge problem here. And so, um, you know, we try to write as much as humanly possible in advance. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, Kent, I want to step back into a couple of the past shows that you worked on. Um, and sure. We just want to know about how these shows were put together and maybe what the rooms or at least the process was like if there weren't rooms. Um, specifically, SpongeBob and Camp Laszlo. Uh, well, SpongeBob, uh, I actually... Uh, new people that worked on the show, uh, and so I was brought in season two as a, as a uh, to interview to be a writer, and I didn't I didn't get it, uh, and then they brought me and I was like eh, whatever, and then I, they brought me back season three and uh, and then they uh, I had done a comic and so it, oh. and, and they looked at the comic like, okay we'll we'll give you a chance and so I came on kind of late I mean it wasn't a, a phenomenon yet but it was they definitely like. Right. Had been up and running, and uh, what? Can I, let me stop you yeah, right yeah. there for a sec. What was the comic, and what do you think they responded to that made them say, "Yeah, okay, now we get this." Comic. I don't know. I have no idea. I just the first time I went in, I had nothing. I was just like, "Hi, like, I can I? Uh, this is really exciting." And uh, uh, and then uh, they were like, "Okay, write us a couple uh, premises, but we don't want to see like you know, we don't want to see the roller skating episode." And I was like, "Oh yeah, totally." The, the roller skating episode is so dumb, and it's been done. And then I was like calling people. I'm like, "What's the? Ro- I don't know what that means." And, um, so I was, and it was terrible. I think my premise was like, uh, "SpongeBob finds a license plate." You know, that was like. Uh, yeah. So, so, and then I think the guy, the, maybe the person they hired, I don't know what happened to to them, but uh, they, they were looking for someone else for next season. Uh, and uh, and I think that uh, so when I went in again, I think I maybe was less nervous or whatever. But the, the comic was just about roommates, and uh, it was it was dumb. I was just like a fan of comics, and I you know, but I was like, hey, look at this comic. Look what I've been doing in my free time. And uh, uh, but it, was, it counts. It shows that you have had been doing something and yeah, could tell yeah. a story. And, yeah. yeah. It's more and than they, just that interview. Yeah, and Steve Hillenberg, I th- he hired a lot of people that had never worked in animation before. Like he had hired uh, Kaz, uh, comic book, and uh, Sam Henderson, and uh, and some other people. So I think that was he was doing that with me. And then so originally I was just in the writers' room, and it was uh, there were like five uh, five of us, and uh, uh, and then um, we, so we were, we were writing outlines, and then uh, a storyboard. Uh, uh, artists left to go to DreamWorks, so they had. They were like, "Hey, do you want to fill in and just do stick figures, and we'll we'll clean them up? You know, we'll, I mean, we'll have someone, uh, yeah, fix them." And and I was like, "Okay." And so, I, so then I started boarding. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then I've been, I've been doing it for like twelve years, and so I've gotten like an education from all the shows I've been on, just from all the artists that have been like. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, how, how does it change the approach to storytelling? Having been on both sides of that. Um, yeah, it's weird. Well, it it definitely. Uh, um, yeah, boarding's great because sometimes you're just drawing and you don't know where it's gonna go, and then you'll do like a funny drawing, or you just you know you'll do a mistake, but then that'll give you an idea. And I don't know if you'd necessarily do that if you were writing. Like it's not like you write a typo or something, and you go, "Oh, that typo made me think of something." Or, um, but it's it helps uh, having done both. It helps to when writing outlines to like think about 
the, the person who's going to get it and have to board it. And, sure. uh, and I would imagine it makes you a lot more practical as far as what bit. gets told and how things are told. Yeah, yeah. It's also hard, though, because when you're boarding and you get an outline, you're like, this is terrible. I'm going to have to save this. And then <laughs> and then now it's like now I'm writing outlines, and I know that's happening. Like right. It's just because sometimes outlines are terrible. And, like, uh, yeah. Wow. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and what about uh, Laszlo? I know people love this show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Were, what was your involvement with it, and that was, what did you uh, take from it? Um, that was the same thing. I was doing boards and uh, and writing outlines. And uh, was it run the same way? Was it did it have a writer's room or was it? You know, yeah, yeah, it was very similar to SpongeBob. And actually, Joe Murray, you know, he uh, his first show, Rocco's Modern Life. Everyone that that was on SpongeBob from the beginning, like, had had worked on that. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Rock is my life. And then also had Dan Pavmeyer and Swampy Marsh, who finished in Ferb. They were on that show. And so it was weird because it was like Rocco, and then kind of everyone left and did SpongeBob. And then I think Joe Murray was like, SpongeBob? What? I, I'm going to do another show. It's like he did another show and it brought a bunch of people. But a lot of those people worked on, ended up going on the Flapjack, too, which is interesting. There's like a connection to all those shows. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was just I was doing the same thing. Okay, and and were the rooms? Uh, we can kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it now, uh, as far as how you guys work on an episode of Adventure Time. Were the rooms run basically the same on those shows as what you guys employ now? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Flapjack was the first room where uh, Thurip liked to bring in the the story artist to, to the to the meetings, and that was great. Like that, um, but uh, there was a real uh, on SpongeBob and Camp Lazlo that didn't happen. Uh, Okay, so you had more of a proper writer's room, like yeah, a sitcom room. Yeah, yeah, but it was pretty small. It was only like five or six people, and there'd, there'd be a story editor, and then there'd be the creator of the show, and then usually the creative director, and then there, there'd be like a couple writers. Okay. And so on Laszlo, it was uh, Steve Little, because Joe Murray had gone to Gra- the Groundlings and like seen Steve Little. I don't know if you know him. He's uh, he's an actor, and, a, and he plays uh, Stevie Janowski on Eastbound and Down and, uh, and a lot of other stuff. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Joe, Joe Murray just like saw him do doing uh, improv at the Groundlings, oh, and he like hired him, and he he was gr- he was great. I feel like there, and I don't know, you guys can tell me as far as how you put your Adventure Time room together, but it feels like there's more opportunities for people outside the you know the structure of the writing business in animation. Has that been the case with you guys? Where did you find your writers? I mean, you said you kind of found them at conventions and things, but were they artists? Are they writers? Are they both? I was just lucky enough to work with them on Flapjack. I uh, can't. I'm pointing to Kent. Uh, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's where I found them. Uh, and Steve, a uh, little worked on the show, and that's, we just worked together on Flap. And, um, and that's yeah, there's no big <laughs> so story. You, did go, you didn't really go uh, outside... You didn't go to Groundlings and say, "Let's get this guy." No, well, well, for the writers' room, but not for the, not for the story writers, right. the, the storyboard artists. Too. Yeah, and for the writers' room. Yeah, for the board artists, it was it was all conventions or, oh, okay. or people that I knew from from other shows that came on, and um, yeah, it's usually people you know. I guess that's how it just goes transfers. Sure. Um, and Jack. Oh yeah, we we just brought in last week Jack Pendarvis. I don't know if anyone knows him, but he he writes for. Uh, um, like the Believer, he has, he has a he has a column in the Believer called Musings and Thinkings, and mm-hmm. he lives in Mississippi. But he's going to help write some uh, awesome. uh, outlines, and it's very exciting because he's he's great. Oh, that's cool. People should be really excited, <laughs> like this guy. Like, <laughs> it's an excitable crowd tonight. Yeah. Um, all right, so 
Walk us through putting together an episode of Adventure Time. Uh, when you show up at the beginning of a season... Oh, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm asking, I'm asking Martin. Uh, when you show up at the beginning of a season and you have a few ideas and everybody has ideas, what, what's next? Well, one thing, we can show some of those slides. Slides aren't the best thing for a podcast, but I'm going to describe yeah, what's going to be... Um, Martin, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work out. Let's see. Uh, but we play writer's games in the writer's room. That's what we call them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it makes it fun. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it's, a, it's like an exquisite corpse, but with writing. And, I, don't um, know. I don't know what that is. It's the, you fold a paper three, three, three ways, hamburger style. And then uh, at the one, we'll usually do a drawing at the top, and all the board, sword board artists come into the room, and we'll, we'll do a drawing at the top of the page, and then we'll pass it one to the left, and then that person gets to write the first act. And you just, you have, based you on have, the drawing. Based on the drawing, and you have like three minutes, two minutes, and then you pass it four ways another way, and then you'd write the second act, and then you'd write the third act, someone else writes it, and then we pass them again, and we all read them out loud and crack each other up <laughs> with how, how stupid they are. And they usually devolve into boner jokes. And, uh, but the, we t- there's a lot of gems in there, and we take those, and then in the, in the proper writer's room, we uh, hammer it out and try to make an element story out of it. Um, but it, it starts with a visual that we want to do, some detail that we like, that we want to having the show and you can walk us through this one these are so goofy and we didn't we haven't used some of these uh i put this one up let's see let me see what's on the bottom there yeah i mean describe as much as you can for the uh podcast audience (laughs) i will um oh oh, part uh this one i like this drawing it's really cute there's a little bug sitting on a (laughs) A uh, field of grass next to a forest, um, and the story. Someone, uh, someone from Adventure Time crew wrote Act One, and it's about after the intro plays. And the intro of Adventure Time is is a camera moving through all these different uh, terrains um, until it gets to Finn and Jake, and that intro would play out. And but instead, in this Act One, this is really boring. I'm trying to make this interesting. Uh, someone wrote that the camera would pull back. And you'd see this little bug, and it would hang out, and it would... I really, uh, really, what I liked at the end here was something that Kent wrote. Um, so the bug decides to leave, and he takes all of Finn and Jake's stuff with him. He leaves a note that says, I couldn't remember what was mine and what was yours, so I took everything. Here's a check in case uh, I grabbed some of your stuff. The check is for $32. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's, I feel like that's a nugget that I would try to use later. <laughs> uh, can you put on to the next one? Um, a lot of these have bad language, uh, so I'm going to try to. We're an explicit podcast. Skip over. Uh, so what's the? Um... This is uh, the drawing at the top. Is a is Jake and he's holding up a camera and he's saying hey hey and Finn's looking at him. Uh, and so so one person wrote Jake wants to take glamour shots of his face and body to give to Ranicorn because he wants her to never not think about how beautiful he is. <laughs> Finn thinks that sucks, but says he'll take the photos because they're buds. Uh, the camera, someone else wrote, uh, the camera turns out to be magical, and when Rainy gets the photos, uh, the Jakes and them come alive and start messing with her, and she likes it. <laughs> uh, and then someone else wrote, Jake has to watch Lady 
get messed with multiples of Jake's. Uh, he is so sad until he takes pics of Lady, and then they come alive, and then they all mess with each other. Uh, the end. Um, you can go to the next one. Did, when, yeah. when was that one from? Do you remember? Well, was it from this past season? Uh, we did it last year. Last oh, okay. year. Uh, and did that one, has that turned no. into anything? A lot of these are scrapped. We've got so many of these. Uh, we do these until we're all exhausted. Um, here, let's see. The image here is of Finn and Jake peering out from behind a tree to see uh, different Finn and Jake doppelgangers named Finn and Fake. <laughs> Uh, Finn and Jake discover Finn and Fake, someone wrote. They're doppelgangers. Uh, they see them stealing all their friends and going on their adventures, but they don't care. <laughs> they could use a break. Uh, I wrote this part. It's my chicken scratch. Finn and Finn, Fake and Finn start sleeping in Finn's bed and walking behind them one inch behind. <laughs> Finn and Fake are consuming Finn and Jake's space energy. So Finn starts to do uncomfortable stuff, like take showers and do hard yoga positions. This weirds the imposters out, and they split. That doesn't work, it says at the end. Eh, that doesn't work. I love the picture of him standing one inch behind him, though. There's a lot of drawings. I think that we figure stuff out. That's, this is a tangent, uh, but maybe it's good, because I remember in the beginning, I thought it was going to be a script-driven show, so that I could control everything. I wanted to write everything, and and be as in control of the humor as much as I could. And I sat down to write my first script. I'd only had a year's experience of being a storyboard slash writer on Flapjack, which is a storyboard-driven show. And I sat down to write my first script on Adventure Time, and I wrote, Finn and Jake make funny faces at each other. <laughs> and I was like, this sucks. This is not funny. I need to draw what those faces are, and I need to time it out so that it it's feels fun. So it's funny, and like this is not going to work. And then I scrapped the whole idea. And just went storyboard driven, which is way better for me. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I think maybe now I could have a better time figuring out how to describe what's funny about their faces or something in the script. But in the beginning, I couldn't. Oh. Is, I can, that, is that the last one? No, there's okay. a bunch. I can stop. If you no, <laughs> let's do a couple more as long okay. as we're all standing. This one's just Finn and Jake find a gun. Uh, <laughs> I can go to the next one. This one's uh, bubblegum, has a horse body, and Marceline's looking at her. And it says, Marceline is so bored at her house, she never visits anyone or has anyone over. She's watching the paint dry, and she's like, mmm, all that. She's going on a pranking spree. She puts horse steroids in bubblegum's water. And then they kick each other a bunch. It gets nasty towards the end, I think. You can do the next one. Uh, this is an example of one that was I was so bored with that I just ruined it at the end. That's my handwriting. And it was just Ice King's in a boat. He looks really sad. Uh, his house melted, and so there's water everywhere. Uh, fish comes up, something happens. And then I was so bored with this that I wrote Ice King poops everywhere at the end. I wrote, eh, ellipses, well, ellipses, Ice King, ellipses, he... Ellipses, he, um, he poops everywhere <laughs> at the end. That's how these usually go. That's funny. We can, we can stop yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's good for now. Um, can, you, can we put these up on the website or something? Nah. No? Maybe, <laughs> if we block we'll out that stuff. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking about CN. It's not for children. For the execs, they don't want that stuff. Um, let's talk for a sec about uh, characters and writing. You know, you guys both have shows. You all have shows that have these really strong, specific characters, and they had them right off the bat. Um, Martin, let's start with you in creating some of these characters. You know, if you think there's one that's a good example of how to create a strong character, um, but other than that, you know, what what do you respond to in a character? What were you trying to do in in creating some of these characters who could have very easily been, um, you know, just kind of tossed off uh, shadows? Mm, poetic mm-hmm. toss off shadows um, for us I mean what, one of the things I really wanted to do with the show is take a lot of the tropes and archetypes that had to do with like Hollywood stories and and those type of shows as well you know just just like nighttime soaps uh, and take you know those characters and 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 present them in a way with stories that maybe you're not familiar with. Our show is just all about like taking a situation where you know you've seen a thousand times before and trying to make it uh, in a way that you have never seen it before. And um, we're you know successful some of the time, but that's 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 what we're trying to do. And so for me, it's just like I just I knew it was going to be an ensemble show, and so you know you had like the ingenue, the you know girl who just moved to L.A. You had you know I wanted to do a I wanted to do a comedian or a magician. I'm really glad I chose a comedian. I chose a comedian, uh, uh, a dancer. I knew I wanted. I, I was trying to build uh, at this, you know, the the Lux, which is the place they all live, a real kind of like artistic community. I kept talking about Labo M a lot when, when I was pitching the show, which is so crazy that they were like, "Yes, yes, Labo M. That's what we need." Because I was talking about how, like, you know, we didn't have the kind of money that most other CW shows have. So I was like, we need to do like the romantic poor, like a because we can't afford to dress them well or, or have like really super nice sets. But we can build like a, I, I know we can afford to build like a really crappy hotel and dress people in like you know this is like the clothes that they 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 found it at you know the Salvation Army. And so uh, there it was that. And then I knew I wanted to do something in in, in hip hop and and in, in music and and. Um, uh, at the time, had an inkling that there were not a lot of gay people in in hip hop. I had no idea how, how you know, it, it was shocking to know that I am not as intimately familiar with the hip hop world as <laughs> as you would might might think upon first glance. Um, and so, but I, I I I knew there needed to be a gay character in the show, um, just because there's a gay person in all of my life. So, and it really pisses me off when. Uh, there aren't uh, uh, gay people in, in, in nighttime shows. So, uh, uh, but I didn't want to do it in a way where you're like, oh, like I didn't know how to do a, a, a lot of the uh, tropes with having like a, a closeted character are just so done to death that it's not worth doing anymore. But for some reason, the second we put it in hip hop, it became like super interesting. Uh, and then I wanted somebody that had a modicum of success on the show to show how uh, that can also not be fun. And in fact, how that isolates you further from that community that you had when you weren't making any money. And, and then I wanted somebody just to represent me kind of, uh, I was you know 30 at the time, 31, 32 at the time when I started writing or creating the show. And um, 
um, it was written almost exclusively about like young 21, 22 year olds, and I found them exhausting. And uh, I was like, Ugh. I was like, and I need that voice in the show. So um, uh, I put a 30 year old who, who was kind of like considered a has been, and and had a time had kind of her time had passed. She was 30. It was never going to happen for her. And uh, and so yeah, so it was just like we started with those, and those are all like if I told you, and you know, for those of you that haven't seen the show, I'm sure I couldn't have bored you more with how you know uh, straightforward and, and, and archetypal those characters are but then the the job of the writing is to then kind of make it how do we make this interesting like how do we make it feel fresh and we just went from there and I, I was incredibly thankful to I hired a lot of people that had never written television before a lot of playwrights and people that had I just thought were really funny, and um, uh, it was it was a fresh way to do it. A because we had no money, <laughs> so it was, uh, they didn't have outlandish fees that were already established. Uh, and, and B it, again, it was like I uh, the thing that I bring to the table is I, I watch an enormous amount of television. I've had the great fortune to produce and write a lot of television, so I, I know how that like I can think structurally very well about how to piece these shows together and how it would usually go. And so it was great to, you, you know, I, I at least try to surround myself with the antithesis of myself in a lot of ways, where it's people that have the same tastes, but they have nowhere near, we have very different experiences. So uh, they filled out the characters in a really beautiful way uh, and, and keep the show super interesting. Nice. Um, Kent and uh, Penn, talk to me about uh, not just creating the characters of Adventure Time, but writing them. Uh, you know, can, is there a character that you respond to in particular, and and why? Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, well, I like Ice King, and I. But I, I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, <laughs> but I also think it's because Tom Kenny's so good mm. at, at uh, that. When you're writing, it's kind of easy because you just think of his voice, mm-hmm. and and <laughs> and sometimes you'll write a line, you hear him say it, and you're like, oh yeah, that'll be funny, or. Uh, so it kind of feels like cheating. It's not real. But, uh, but he is such a strange and, you know, complicated and sort of pathetic character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about it? What about him do you respond to? And, you know, what do you find funny about him? Um, Besides I, I guess because he's, well, he lives alone and he's got pets. And um, I, the, the first board I ever did, and I, I remember being, like, nervous pitching and, mm-hmm. um, uh and there's like a gag where he like checks his cell phone to see if anyone called him, and <laughs> and then after the you were like, oh, that's good, that's good, and I was like, that, that's well, good. What was good about it? Because uh, I said that's good, and that was the person who said yeah, it. Yeah, sorry, uh, I was pointing at Penn. Yeah. What was good about it was that uh, they were his pants were on the floor, and he went, he was looking for his phone, and he found him in his pants that were on the floor, and I like that detail because it felt real. It felt, um, and then I said that's good. But uh, yeah. <laughs> But I, we're we're inside now, you guys. <laughs> this is what it's like. But I was like, awesome! Like I can I can do that. Like I'll just go around my apartment and write whatever's going on. And <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I mean, for all of the crazy, outlandish, fun storylines you have going on, it's it is these little character moments that I think really make the show. Um, and and that's a great example. Um, Penn, in creating, you know, let's talk about the lead characters. Uh, where I hate to say where do you get your ideas, but where did they come from? What of you is in them, maybe, or what is it about them that you respond to? Um, Finn, I think Finn was me in 
like junior high school, I wanted to save the world. I had a, had, an, had a fantasy where I was like standing in front of a like a league of like beautiful Greenpeace women volunteers, and I was like, "We're gonna do it!" And they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> follow me!" And then we like run into a city and like, flip cars and. Uh, but now I'm much more the Ice King character, I think. Which is, well, I love, I'm so happy being the Ice King character. Um, I was telling Kent, like, on the way here, I'm not happy unless I'm, like, I can't, I can't relax unless I'm, like, in, like, a hole, like, a covered up, like, there's dark, a dark hole. Like, and then I can, like, when I'm, I can be alone in my room with the room closed and the air conditioner on. I can just be, like, relax on that. Like, Ice King. Um, I don't know. It's all us. It's like everyone writes them differently. Uh, I think everyone puts themselves or sees themselves in the characters, and everyone takes them in different directions. Jesse never lets anyone cry uh, when he's writing because he's a robot. Uh, Cole makes him cry a bunch. He's a big baby. Do you, should we check with you guys? Yeah. Come here. <laughs> what? Tell me about. Tell me about these characters and. Uh... Argument I had with Rebecca. Don't touch my microphone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> about about crying on the on the show. About yeah. making the Ice King cry. We got into we were pitching a thing, and uh, I might not tell this story right, but it turned into like an an hour or two hour long argument about. <clears throat> she was like, "Why don't you give the audience something like, like let them see that he he feels this thing and really like hit it home," and I was like, "That's no, I won't do it. Like, I won't let him. I don't know. I was like." I forget why. I forget why. Why was that? Just do you remember you that argument? You, well, I just you didn't feel comfortable. You didn't think that it made sense that he would cry. You didn't want him to cry because you, you don't cry, man. That's why I cry all the time, man. No, <laughs> uh, I th- I'm not sure. I think it was it was one of those things where I wanted it to be a hard like a hard lesson or something like that. I'm not going to tell you what happened because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but... It was it was like a moment where I wanted it to be really like really I thought that it would hit home on a different in a different way about the Ice King if he didn't express emotion in that in that moment and that he was like more blank. And it's like two different ways of approaching the Ice King. Like I think I play a lot of the characters blank, like less emotive, because to me that's funnier. Uh, then and every once so that when those emotions do happen, it's it's it feels like crazy. You know what I mean? Like like you get a glimpse of most of the time. Ice King is being really pathetic and funny, and I want to keep in my boards. I try to keep it that way most of the time. So you only get a small glimpse of that human that human part of him. So I try to play the tragedy really straight without. Uh, Tears. <laughs> well, there's there's a hard rule on the show for not. I don't want Finn to cry unless someone dies, unless unless Jake dies or explodes or something. Like he can't cry. I mean, because it's easy. To, I think in cartoons. It's fun to make people cry. <laughs> it's fun to draw them crying because it cracks you up that you're causing this drawing pain, and there's a bunch of sad lines in their face. It's fun to like put a bunch of lines in someone's face. Uh, so I think, I don't know, we, I tried to make sure that doesn't happen. Tell us about your approach to the characters. 
Oh, uh, well... Also introduce yourself. Uh, my name's Cole Sanchez. Um, uh, yeah, just, just with Ice King, there's like a lot of um, sort of sad and, and pathetic and petty elements to his personality. And um, I spend a lot of time alone. And uh, like I'm just in my couch, just like with my shirt off and like just sitting there eating. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is exactly... I'm just writing myself. <laughs> so I don't really have any tips or tricks other than... I think that's the biggest tip, right? Is, you know, write yourself. Yeah. It's working. Um, Cole, but, uh, one tangent. Cole did a, uh, a scene uh, that I don't think has been on TV yet, but it's of the Ice King laying down shirtless, and he's like, he's rubbing the hairs on his chest together, and he's, sing- and he, and he's, and he's making little teepees, and he's singing... Uh, He's singing, making hair teepees for my hair peepees. And he's had made little people out of hair, uh, out of his own hair, and he's like putting them in the teepees. Uh, and we got a network note on it because we couldn't say peepees. Uh, and so we said, so now we're trying just to get peepees, like peoples, like peepees. We're trying to rhyme it. These are, those are the, like, those, those conversations, man. They have, no, yeah, they have no problem with the rest of the concept of that, but it's yeah. the word peepees. Peepees. They're little hairs. Little people hairs. I always just act totally shocked at the practice and standard notes, like horrified that they would assume that that is what's going on. Like, I remember there was a scene where Sabrina went down on Nick, and we just showed it was like this, and she just, like, folds out a frame. And they were like, you can't show that. She's going down on him. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why would you think that? Oh, my God. That's what you got from that? And they were so embarrassed. Uh, they, let it, they let it slide. <laughs> They're super, I, I don't know. I've been super lucky. They've been super reasonable. Where you Because it's like, you get, you get in these crazy terms where you, like, you can't have people vomit that long. And, like, uh, I'm sure you guys run into that one. And, uh, 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 you know, it's a weird thing, too, because, like, not, you know, this is, it goes, like, I don't, I don't have an opinion about it one way or another, but you can really do anything violent uh, as much as you want. But the second there's something, like, remotely sexual on the show that is, like, deems to cross a line, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy how many alarm bells go off. But they've shown me the letters. Like, we, we did this one threesome scene. <laughs> and I, I must have done a hundred cuts of that scene because they had done a Gossip Girl threesome scene the year before and gotten like a million letters and uh, it was like the FCC started to like saber rat a little bit so it's just fascinating as to like what like because a lot of times you're like why is this of all things a problem and then you realize like oh we got dinged for that last year but uh, yeah that's, that's, that's one of the only scenes where there's two versions of there's like a Canadian version and an American version um, I'm curious about that from from your perspective as well, guys. Uh, you know, you're writing for children or for a children's network in any any event. Uh, what is the relationship like with the network? How much of a hand do they have in? What kind of notes do you guys get? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I, we. I mean, I do that all the time for real, though, because they with that when you know it was pitched like oh, threesomes and vomiting. Is yeah, that no, no, no. <laughs> but like twirling up his chest hairs and saying they're teepees and then they're peepees. And then we got the note, and they're like, no, pee please sounds like it's pubic hair. And we're like, no, it's his chest hair. It's, like, connected to his chest. And they're like, yeah, but he's saying pee. 
And you're like, no, but that, uh, and you're like trying to explain it. And then you're like, God, that, and I think about the people from standards and practices just walking down the street, like seeing every car is a penis and there's like vaginas <laughs> everywhere. And they're just like, oh God, uh, <laughs> the world is terrible. <laughs> Everyone's trying to put penises and vaginas a, in my face. I, it, uh, it's uh, not to take their side, but it is like the wor- it's the hardest job because uh, the, the, every day they live in fear that someone's going to walk in and be like, how did you not catch this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and you're like, oh God, I didn't see that. That that was a real phone number, or you know, like that. You know, like the, the uh, you know, the, he for sure. There was. A, they're always like, I'm pretty sure I saw a nipple in there, and I'm like, I swear to God, you didn't. There's no way. There's no way you could have seen a nipple. But that's that's you know, that's an amazing life they have. Uh, I want to. I have a couple more questions, and we'll turn it over to you guys. Um, but I want to know fairly quickly about some of the other uh, rooms you guys have been in. Um, Martin, tell us about uh, Bored to Death. Because uh, that was an unusual place. Uh, I feel like the creator of the show had sort of a, a heavy hand in writing the episodes, but there was a writing staff, and it was a really funny and smart staff. Oh, for sure. I mean, we, we uh, you know, there were some amazing people that worked on that show. Uh, you know, Donna Carey, uh, Sam Sclaver, uh, Tammy Sager, uh, Samantha McIntyre. Uh, and a bunch of people, Rachel Axler. I'm not going to list the entire staff of Bored to Death. But, um, um, uh, you know, Jonathan, the first, we, I was on the first staff, and Jonathan on the first day, and me and Donick, who had not met each other, he wrote for the, a ton of The Simpsons, and he's on New Girl now. He was, used to be David Letterman's head writer when he was, like, in his early 20s. And um, uh, we were sitting there, and, and uh, Jonathan, uh, one of the first things he said was he was like, um, I, don't, I don't want any of them to ever be mean to each other and I don't want there to be any sarcasm in the show and I went home and just packed my bags like I was like well I'm gonna for sure get fired uh, and uh, he had such a like a real beautiful vision of what he wanted the show to be it's a real shame that show got you know canceled because I feel like it, we really figured it out how to do it in the third season it took a couple seasons to like really fine tune what how to translate his voice to television, which is what our job was. You know, he was a novelist, and we were people that had made a lot of TV, and um, and and it was our job to kind of try to help him, you know, make a TV show. But yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 that brainstorming for that show was some of the most fun I've, I've ever had because it was very similar. We would, you know, we wouldn't do it as structured as that, but not that that was super structured. But it was uh, <laughs> that that we would just sit around and for a few weeks just talk about the craziest things that had been going on in our lives, Jonathan would always win, and so that would make it into the TV show the most. But, um, uh, no, it was just, it was, it, was, it was really fun kind of crafting seasons, because, again, we would only do eight a year. So, um, uh, and, then, and then as far as, like, who would write what, you know, we would write our drafts, and, and then Jonathan would, would, you know, heavily rewrite uh, uh, them for the most part. Um, but it was, you know, you, you work on shows that are either... Uh, you know, singular vision shows that you feel like, you know, you try to find what your your job is on that show. You're like, okay, I can do this really well. I can help them do this and the producing and stuff like that. And then there are shows, you know, like I worked on a show called Stargate, which was basically just a room of showrunners. I mean, we would just all, there were five or six of us by the end of that, that would, you know, we all gave each other notes and would brainstorm together. But then once it got to the writing, that was it. We would write the script and see it through to production, and you know, do the editing and all that stuff. And uh, it, it was we just had so much respect for each other that that and and we kind of knew what the show was in our 
spine. Mine were a little bit more this, theirs were a little bit more that, but the show felt the show the whole way through, even though we basically had kind of auto- autonomy over our, 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 our episodes. So I don't know. Both, both are totally valid and a lot of fun. How do you work on L.A. Complex? How much rewriting do you do, especially considering that you direct a number of the episodes? Um, uh, L.A. Complex, we get together. So the, kind of the beginning of the year. We get together, and um, uh, the first thing we go around the room is we talk about what's going on in our lives that we do, have never seen on TV before. <laughs> Or what's going on in the world that we don't feel like is being talked about on TV before, um, uh, and 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 I don't know. It's a, you know it's a really uh, the show is pretty heavy in some cases and super light. But it, like the crazy thing about a writers' room is like you just get to know people so exceptionally well. The people that do well in writers' rooms are the ones that can you know even you know bring up that minutia of like lying on your couch playing with your hair and making teepees out of it. Like that's exactly right. You're just looking for that kind of raw. Um, alone time moments that you don't usually share, and it's a whole room of people who are like, in a sense, competing to, <laughs> to be like, here's something even crazier that I'm a part of at the moment. Um, and so uh, I just try. We try to in the, in the brainstorming. We have a very large room, like 11 or 12 writers, and I, I try to bring in those people that I know might not write a script for the show, but are uh, living super interesting lives, uh, and some of them are not even writers. And we just talk about life for a bunch, and then we start to sculpt, sculpt it into. Um, I like to work in like six to seven episode chunks for a year, so we like kind of. You'll notice if you watch the show in episodes six, seven, and eight, almost all the stories wrap up and then start again anew, just because I like that internal rhythm on a show. And um, and then we'll go away and write outlines, and scripts start to get written, and then we do something in this show that I've never done before, but I I, I, I guess is done on a lot of shows where. I won't do the final polish myself. Um, uh, I, I, we sit. It takes usually a day, day and a half, two days, depending on the script. But we sit with me, uh, Brendan Gall, who's the co-executive producer, and uh, you know the two writers this year were uh, uh, Laura as a party and Kate Hewlett, and our our our, our story editor Chris Podsbon. And we just sit there, and we just all in the room. Uh, Brendan will sit at the keyboard, and we just rewrite the script from top to bottom, and uh, uh, argue about it. Uh, viciously, <laughs> and uh, or like be like, this is so great. We need more of this, and um, it's a really tough process when, it, when it's your script um, because it's not done. Usually, that's kind of done behind closed doors, and you like a new draft comes out, and you read it, and you're like, oh, good. Most of my stuff is still in here, um, uh, but on our show, it's like you know, I, I like it because you have the opportunity to fight. Like very junior people have the opportunity to fight for stuff to make it into the final draft that I think if I was just doing that alone, I would just, for speed's sake, be like, oh, I don't know, I don't necessarily even fully understand that. I'm going to just write it in my own voice. And this has really allowed the show to have, I think, a, like, um, I don't know, it's a, richer, it's a richer thing. Again, it's super difficult, and it certainly taxes some of those relationships. But um, um, uh, I think the show is way stronger for it. And, and a show where you have so many, like, there are 200 speaking roles on our show, it allows for the voice to not feel so monotonous, you know? And, um, yeah, that's how, we, that's how we do it. That's very interesting. Um, I want to start down here, and then we'll get questions from you guys. Uh, starting with Penn, <clears throat> what were some of the influences you had maybe growing up? When did you become aware that, whether it's animation or television or movies, that these were things that were created by people and that you wanted to be a part of that? Uh, since I was like a baby, I wanted to do animation. Uh, 
Uh, what was the stuff you were into when you were little? I loved The Simpsons. I loved Ren Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead. Those are my favorites, I think. And, um, and then people turned me on to weirder stuff like Brothers Quay. Um, i trying to think of other stuff. Uh, Eon Flux was awesome when I was little. And... Um, that's, is, that, is that the question? <laughs> yeah. And was it was it a clear path for you how to become one of these creators? Um, uh, luckily, my mom knew animators. She's an artist. And she lives in San Antonio, and and um, she's a painter and she paints abstract painting. And she knew uh, animators, um, and so she, they, I could ask people questions. So I, I had some insight into like what it what it is. Uh, but I was doing flipbooks and first grade because I liked I liked that. I remember I did a flip book of Waterworld of Kevin Costner <laughs> like fighting a fish and uh, um, I've got another flip book somewhere of my mom had just sold a painting and she put a bunch she put the money from the painting in her bra that she was wearing and then later in the night she was like throwing the money up in the air and I, fl- I did a flip book of her like taking the money <laughs> out, of, out of her bra and flip, throwing the money everywhere uh, those are the only ones I can remember. I remember doing flipbooks for my 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 crushes in first grade, where I'd stack like post like five post-it notes together and do this like epic story and give it give it to a, the girl that I liked. Uh, Did it work? No. <laughs> yeah, pity me. Uh, what else? Uh, and. <laughs> That, that's it? Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Kent, what was the stuff that you were into growing up that made you uh, want to do what you do? Um, I think when I was really young, I liked watching uh, sitcoms. And um, when I couldn't stay up past eight, but, I, you know, the reruns that were rerun, like um, Get Smart, I'd watch. And What's Happening was on every day for some reason. Yeah, I grew up in Vermont, but What's Happening was on, like, twice a day. And so I've seen every episode, like, They're 10. the only black people you ever saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I was like, this show's great. And then I realized, I was like, it's just like Happy Days. Like, there's three friends, and, like, Raj and Richie both want to be a writer, and they both have a younger sister, and then they both have a diner. That they, anyways, and then, uh, yeah, and Happy Days, and, uh, like, Mark and Matt. I just love sitcoms. Um, and then I, uh, like, Steve Martin, like, his, his comedy albums, I had a lot of those, and uh, Weird Al I liked a lot. I remember I, I transcribed, um, I like played it on a cassette player and like would pause and like write all the lyrics out and then I would go to my, my dad's old cars and I'd go to his, uh, he had a copy machine so I'd make copies and then I'd go to school and I'd be like, you have to read, you know, read the words. You, you can't just, you know, this is really funny. You're missing out. And like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. even then you had an awareness that this is the thing that's written. This is the thing that's created. Yeah. I was like, look what he's doing. He's using this word instead of that word. <laughs> I used to do that with Calvin and Hobbes. I would, like, cut them all out and, like, put them on long sheets and I get, get my dad to photocopy them and then redistribute them against Universal's rights, I'm sure, <laughs> just to school friends. Because I was like, you can know, and people are not reading these enough. And they would just, I would be devastated that I would just see them around the school all the time. I'd be like, no one gets it. These are really good. All right, tr- I traced over a Calvin and Hobbes strip with my own original character, Little Frankenstein. <laughs> and I showed it to my mom. And I was like, look what I did. And she was like, you copied this from Calvin and Hobbes. And I was like, oh. and I don't think I said anything. I was just like, she caught my lie. I'm going to try. I don't know, I don't know what I, I think I was just like still too young to not even react to that. And just I just walked away and like pre- pretended that it never happened. 
I made a stop-motion animation from based on the Calvin and Hobbes strip and then tried to sell it when I was 14 <laughs> to, like, our local cable access thing. And they're like, you can't. We are gonna, we'd get totally sued if you did this. And I was like, all right. Somebody else owns this. Yeah. Um, for, well, me, for me, it was a lot of... Uh, 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 Muppets were a big deal to me when I was growing up, and um, I would listen to Bill Cosby records like pretty religiously um, to the point where, like, still this day, I have like a weird ability to I'm you know I can kind of do 14 Bill Cosby albums. <laughs> you know, just here we like, go. Nope, nope, no, nope, <laughs> not gonna do it. Uh, but like to wrestle with my brother, whom I slept with, is like I think one of the greatest crowning achievements of storytelling ever. And uh, it's like it's just so perfect and amazing. And nope. And uh, uh, download it on iTunes. Uh, and uh, and then so the Cosby Show was a huge deal for me when that was on. And I don't know. I just like I, I got into television um, uh, because uh, it would excuse in some sort of way how much television I watch. Like I I watch everything. I watch the most reprehensible reality TV shows to like the highest highbrow. You know all the newest Iranian TV shows that you can only get on the internet. I don't know. I just, like, I really just, uh, I'm a mass consumer of, of television, and, and I think it all kind of informs everything I do. And it's why, it's why I've been able to, I think, in a lot of ways, have such a crazy, eclectic career that I'm so thankful for, like, starting on a show like Stargate, which is like a swashbuckling space action hour, and then going to Bored to Death, which is like a really, it's like an intelligentsia New York half-hour comedy to, like, you know, LA Complex, which is just a, you know, a, a brash, dirty, <laughs> s- smart soap, I hope. Uh, Not to mention your own film. Right, young people fucking, which is just a, a, a like a, you know, a, a very strange. That's not strange, like a real straight ahead. Uh, uh, well, young people fucking came out of the fact that I was like, I don't understand why all romantic comedies stop at kissing. <laughs> you know, it's just always like <laughs> the end, and I was like, that's really from that point on is where it gets super interesting. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's that's what that movie came out. But yeah, so I, I just you know I love it all. Uh, questions, you guys? Hello. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Um, can Penn Ken, can you walk us through the voice recording process um, and what happens in the booth? Are, do you guys have the storyboards on display? And once they're, edi- uh, once they're recorded, um, is the radio play edited and then the animation to the radio play, or is it sort of different on your show? Uh, and I'm curious about that, actually, from all three of you in regards to just working with actors and how that collaboration happens. Uh, but go ahead. Go ahead, Kent. Yeah, you just described it perfectly. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the actors uh, are in the booth, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> Let me describe it more. Uh, well, and then we, we have a script, the... and then the, the storyboard's in there. There's a big monitor. Yeah. Uh, and so while um, I'm actually uh, directing the actors with the creative directors, and sometimes the writers come, and, and uh, so we're kind of all helping out. And um, I'm just kind of scrolling through the board as they're going through it. And, uh, and we'll have them run like a scene at a time. And if it's a long scene, we'll break it up into a couple pages at a time. But they, they like to... Um, run the whole scene and work off each other and uh, uh, and sometimes you you know they don't know what's going on and you say oh look up at the monitor and they say oh okay uh, and then yeah there's a radio edit and then that gets dumped into the, the animatic and Tom Kenny will improvise every so often uh, and I want him to I want everybody to um, and we try to use as much of that as possible and then um, 
And we'll put that, yeah, we'll put that to picture with all the drawings from the board and animatic. And, and we'll change expressions depending on how the actors delivered lines um, to try and sell it more. And we, and we had an episode last week that aired where uh, Jake says, um, I don't know if you saw it, uh, your constant harassment of the female body it makes me sick. And he did that line, and they were all laughing because he's like, oh, I sound like Diedrich Bader. And he's like, wait, wait, I can really do it like Diedrich Bader. And then he did it, and it was really funny. And then I saw online people are like, is that Diedrich Bader? Like, what's going on? And I was like, it's great like, that people actually picked up on that. Uh as far as what we do, I mean, you know, like for for me, um, uh, it's all about performance. You know, everything we do is getting, you know, engaging and, and, and humorous and real performances. So we uh, uh, we uh, we spend a lot of time on the scripts, but um, uh, we have this kind of policy where we'll do a couple of takes on script and then go off off book for a little bit. And then kind of regather ourselves and maybe like take some of that input. Because the problem with, with the way that we shoot the show is that you can't, we don't always have the benefit of covering everybody at the same time. So um, we'll write down the funny things that we thought that came out in the loose takes. And uh, occasionally I'll, I'll shoot as often as possible where we, we can, you know, have cameras pointed at both actors without making it look like shit. The directors of photography really, really, really don't like it. Um, and then we have a, a, you know, the final piece of the writing is our, our extraordinary editorial team who kind of sift through all of it and present new versions of the scene for you, um, you know, led by an, an extraordinary guy named Mike Bannis who I've worked with for, you know, a decade now. Um, so, yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah. Um, in a recent episode of Adventure Time, you guys um, divulged more information about some of the origin stories between uh, Marceline and Ice King. Yeah. And what I was wondering is how far back do you guys think about the origin stories for your characters, especially from the first season to now? Do you, like, build them outward from, you know, do you think about further into the origin story, like, later on in the series? Or, like, did you kind of have some of that plan from the beginning? And I would ask that question to Martin as well. Yeah. Um, well... It's hard to say because we a lot of it is thought of from episode to episode. We always move from episode to episode. It's hard to think very far in advance, but we always have a loose idea of things. Um, so nothing's planned out from the beginning. I don't think uh, I, I, I couldn't. It's impossible. Um, but we always have loose ideas, and then we hammer those out when we get closer to that episode. And that that relationship, I think, is primarily uh, due to Rebecca Sugar's interest, and she's a storyboard artist and writer on this show, and in those characters and making things incredibly sentimental uh, and writing those those really heartfelt songs. Uh, I listen to her songs in, in the animatic stage, and it sucks because I start choking up. I just start crying, and I'm crying by myself in a room, and I'm pissed at her for making me so sad uh, by myself like while I'm at work. Uh, but because they're beautiful songs and they really, really tug your heartstrings, um, I'm rambling. What? Uh, no, we, nothing's planned. I don't know. And in fact, they, they, had, uh, Ice King and Marceline had never been in an episode together. And uh, we, I don't know what came first, or if that discussion because we were like, wait, they've never been. And then we we're trying to extrapolate like why maybe they have a reason why they haven't. Right. That around. influenced yeah what their relationship is that, that we just never paired them together, and that was. That came up in the episode. And I we think. had kind of organically figured out stuff with Ice King and, and yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, Martin, did you have, in writing your pilot, did you have backstories about these characters? I had some. I had vague kind of notions, but I mean, you know, I, again, I, I just, uh, um, I think if left to my own devices, my show would be so, so, so boring and straight ahead. But, you know, that's why I brought in kind of real sideways thinkers. Um, and, and for us, as far as, like, as far as the season goes, you know, it's impossible to develop out 13 episodes when you're at episode one. So we, we do have big discussions about where everything goes and kind of put, you know, tent poles, mm-hmm. places that we move towards. But I think you have to, you know, you, gotta, you have to continually get excited about ideas and, and occasionally you'll be, you know, even the last two episodes of the show, we were really sure we were going to end a certain character one way and somebody had a great idea on, on, on where it should go. And just also the world. It's kind of sometimes you're like, oh, that feels like we should maybe discuss that in this show. And um, uh, and so, yeah, you just kind of have to leave yourself open to it. Let me amend my answer. The, a lot of people get, because I get that question at, at like Comic-Con in front of a bunch of fans. And really, they want, what the answer they want is yes. It's all planned <laughs> out. And the future is all planned out because it's real. And it, and it, and it's not made up. And so, yes, it's all, it's all been planned from the beginning. And you're just watching fate unfold. <laughs> Uh, and and it bums me out to answer the question like no we th- have to think about stuff and everything changes but the way that I think about it which makes me excited which I think would make fans excited um, is uh, it's like role playing it's like I'm playing D&D and mm-hmm. so it's like with these characters I don't know what's going to happen because I'm with them in the moment and I'm them and I'm figuring out what's going to happen next and and uh, so that's that's what's exciting about it to me and what makes it cool that I don't know is that I'm uh, if like I, don't know, I wrote one episode a while back called Rainy Day Daydream, and this wasn't a big plot thing, but it was it was just Finn was moving through his house, and he knew there was something evil upstairs, and so he was looking around his house, and I was just looking at a background, and I saw that there was a big missile, and he's and I wrote I'm going to grab that missile, and carry it with me, and he had some other stuff too, and I think I made him drop it because uh, he couldn't carry a missile and some other shit at the same time. Uh, anyway, so that was that was just me role playing, playing D and D with these characters as I went through a story and wrote it uh, straight ahead, um, from moment to moment. Can you guys think of uh, rejected ideas, things that you just loved but that ultimately were untenable? Like rejected by the network, or no, by yourselves, or in the room? Yeah. Oh. Uh... No, I mean, the great thing about being a showrunner is, like, all of the ideas I like are in the show. Um, uh, no, I can't think of any. I mean... Or things that just were unworkable considering the stories you were telling. I don't know. It gets to, like, the way that we do our show is it's it's just, like, um, the it's, it's kind of like working with... Uh, like wet cement, <laughs> you know, and you kind of just keep moving it around, and you you all realize like you're, you have to shoot it on this day, and so it's just like you keep working. But by the time it gets to the point where we shoot it and then edit it, you're, everyone has kind of agreed that that's the way it goes. I mean, like you have crazy surprise, like you know, um, the I never am, I never am cease to amaze at like the surprises that can come up in situations like that. Like for instance, like. This is a weird. This is a this is a weird panel. Uh, this is very you know very similar shows with very different shows. But like when Connor and his sister kissed, um, like that was something that we were not <laughs> we did not prepare for at all. And somebody just we were like kind of stuck at the end of the episode. And um, this guy Chris Pozzabon was like, 
what if what if she kissed him in like a real romantic way and I was like oh that's oh, that's oh, that's so great because uh, that I, you know, I saw this crazy documentary where like that siblings that have been separated sometimes feel like this really strong sexual connection and it's so weird and I was like that's that's great and um, but that's not something we had ever talked about when kind of arcing these like stories and it really t- took it in a real crazy direction but you just have to kind of follow follow it and as far as like the bad ideas I don't know I can't think of anything that was like I really wish we do so many shows like there's 78 little stories every season and so like all of the good ideas and some of the bad ideas are already in there what about you guys um I've got I've got one story that I keep trying to to tool into something that's appropriate for children's television that I can't I can't figure out um but I uh, it was I, I I was pitching a pilot. I pitched this idea to Cartoon Network, and they bought it right before uh, they picked up Adventure Time. It was for a, a pilot called Richard and His Flying Disc. Um, and it was a little guy, and he, he only had legs and a backwards hat, and he was like a ball, and he had a flying disc that he would ride around town on. Anyway, the idea was... Uh, he, Richard found a fountain of youth, or a fountain of life, actually, and he put his disc in it, and it came to life, and he loved it, and they were best friends, and the disc uh, fell in love with a bird, and they were flying around together, and, and they liked each other a bunch, and then a hunter shot the bird, and so the disc was really upset, and he took the bird to the fountain of life, and he put it in, but it didn't, the things that go in the fountain of life don't come out just anew, like they, or they come out anew. Like the bird was just a corpse with a face on its tummy, and he was like, hello, uh, where am I? I'm alive now, and I don't, I don't understand everything. And the disc was like, oh, and also there's like a time limit on the fountain. Uh, and so the, so the disc was like horribly upset, and then it like, and it went back to being a disc, and Richard like took it and went, went away on his, on his, anyway, so I've been trying to figure out how to do that. But it's not, there's too much death in it, uh, and it's too dark. Um, so I can't figure out how to, I've tried. I've tried to lighten it up. I feel uh, like we'll see it, like season eight, season nine. I don't know. <laughs> You'll see it on my YouTube channel as uh, a Flash cartoon. Okay, a couple more questions. I was wondering if you had any uh, minor characters that are just your favorite or you love, or then also if there's any minor characters that are really annoying but are on the show that you still have to deal with or that everybody else loves. Sure. Um, I, you know, the great thing about our show is how big the cast is, and, um, you know, a lot of the minor characters... You know that come on the show. If you're great at all on the show, we're going to find a way to maybe get you back. And and uh, you know, um, uh, I, th- I think Ennis. Pardon me. I think uh, Ennis Esmer, uh, who plays um, uh, the manager uh, Eddie, is uh, uh, he's just never bad in a scene. He's always he always brings. And that's a guy who really just takes. We write a little bit for him, and then he just goes off like crazy. And uh, and you know like Kevin and Cam who started off as just like super small characters, but I just but really really liked those guys. I thought they were really funny, and um, you, I just kept putting them in scenes and giving them more and more load, and they kept doing better and better with it. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, this, the the great thing about doing an ensemble TV show and, and TV shows that get longer and longer um, is that you can kind of you find out like who's amazing at stuff, and then you you throw them off and. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys have a sprawling world to play with. Are there any favorites? Uh, I like Shelby the worm. There's the the worm that lives in Jake's field. Uh, and I've tried to write premises for him, but <laughs> like whole stories based around him, but you, just, you can't. I don't know. 
Yeah. Sorry. I think I turned down those ideas. I always, I'm the one who turns down the Shelby ideas. I like Shelby. We keep working with it. Uh, I don't know. Tiffany was one character that uh, I never wanted back. Uh, but that's coming back and in like a really cool way. And now I'm excited. And it was because, I don't know, did you want Tiffany, Jesse? I don't remember who put that Tiffany was, uh, in Pat, it. Pat, always oh, wanted... Pat McHale was like a big Tiffany pusher in every episode. But Tiffany he, was... Tiff- yeah, uh, but it's because of the Jake's phone. That's how he ends up in that... Right. But this, anyway. so this is a scoop for next season. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, great. Um, my yeah. question's for Martin about Cal, the aforementioned closeted rapper. Caldrick King, King yeah. of California. That's correct. <laughs> Kent, we should say Kent is a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think he's such a compelling, nuanced character that, like you said, you'd never see on TV. And I thought, I was wondering if you could talk a little more about writing him and his storylines. Sure. He's a, yeah, he's extraordinary. He's a big reason why I think the show, that character is a big reason why the show works. Like when, when we started doing the show, I would always just say to people, just get to the end of episode two. Just get to the end of episode two. Uh, if you can make it to the end of episode two and you don't want to watch the show anymore, cool. But I think you probably will. And um, for us, I mean, you know, like Tariq came first and, and um, you know, uh, it was, a, a, again, like a, like a closeted, you know, hip-hop intern who was gay. And then we were like, well, who do we pair him up with? And, you know, I had this, like, this, I don't, I don't know who's, I'll say it's mine because it was terrible. But it, there was a terrible idea in the, the Bible that was just like, like a, he was working with like a Britney Spears type girl who like really came on to him. And I was like, this is all terrible. And I was like, what are we going to do with this guy? Like, what are, who's the most interesting person to put with him? And uh, Aaron Abrams, who, you know, is a genius who works on the show, he was like, we should put him with like DMX or like, you know, somebody really serious and scary. Uh, and um, and that, that story just kind of came together. By the way, the character's not based on DMX at all. Um, uh, but it, it, it's, um, uh, it was just a, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me is like, um, I, when we were writing it, it, it allowed us to do kind of a very um, simple love story uh, that just felt new regardless of how tropey the situations you put them in. Like that whole bed and breakfast sequence, you know, in episode four, like it's crazy. Like if that was any other character, you'd be like, ugh. But for some reason, it feels so vital and fresh when it's those two guys. And um, it was exceptionally difficult to find those two actors. I've never uh, encountered something like this, where we were pretty explicit in the sides what was going to be required of them. And 50% of the people just didn't show up for auditions. Like they were, we were just sitting there waiting for people to come in. And that's when I was. That's when I knew I was like, "Oh, this is this is. We really need to do this." And uh, you know, uh, Andre is uh, straight, and uh, I think plays that character with you know such immense courage. And and what is so beautiful about it is like those moments of like real intimacy that he plays. And I'm not talking about the like tear off your hey, what's up? Uh, tear off your like shirt, you know, sexy moments. But I mean like those like really like the very gentle moments he plays, which are really beautiful, and I just don't think are on TV, uh, especially with two black actors. It's, it's, um, uh, it's been an evolution. And then finding Andre was, you know, the, how that guy wasn't an enormous star before we found him, I have no idea. He's a very handsome gentleman, uh, is incredibly funny, and 
at the end, like, uh, there's a lot of things in the show where you're like, I don't know, hope that works, uh, where we never ha- had him sing or rap or anything before because we were like, well, if we need to find someone who acts first, and then if he can't do that, whatever. And then Andre, we, we hired a, a hip-hop producer, and Aaron, who's, you know, real versed in hip-hop, wrote, you know, the, the song, uh, Hard Times. Uh, uh, and... Um, we got into the studio, and Andre was like, I've written all my own lyrics, if that's okay. And we're like, tell you what, uh, why don't we do ours first, and we'll just have them, and then you do yours. And uh, his blew away. I mean, like, he's just a naturally gifted writer as well. So he writes all his own lyrics. Uh, and um, uh, all of the music we've done on the show, like, it's crazy that our show could do hip-hop real good. <laughs> and a lot, of that is, uh, a lot of that is Andre. But it's, it's a story that, you know, like... Um, anyway, I've gone on too much. But, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah. Stand up. <laughs> Hello. Um, for the LA Complex, you mentioned looking for writers who wouldn't have watched the show. Adventure Time fans span quite a large age spectrum. When you write, do you guys keep an imagined viewer in mind? No, I don't, we don't. We just write for ourselves to try and make ourselves laugh. I think when ideas come up that I think will appeal to me when I was 12, I recognize them. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to laugh at that when I was 12. <laughs> uh, but it was, it's never, I don't think, intentional. I think we just try to entertain ourselves and try to write the best thing that we can think of. Yeah, the same. It was like it's endlessly embarrassing to me when I do press uh, when I started doing press for the show, and they were like, "What's the demo?" And I was like, "Oh man, I don't, I don't know. What's the demo of our network? It's that, um, uh, you know, like it's it's uh, you just have to do something that is for you all. The t- I mean, if if you're not into it, it's impossible for me to sit there and be like, "What would like a 13 year old girl really like in this scene?" I don't know. Um, um, which is maybe why we were one of the lowest rated shows in the history of television. Um, but uh, <laughs> apparently there's only a very few amount of me's out there. Uh, but yeah, for, for us, yeah, it's the same thing. We just want to make a show for, for us. My question is about Fiona and Cake. Um, when yeah. you first decided to do an episode about them, did you think they were going to take off the way they did and become as popular with the fan community as they are now? And um, taking that into consideration, how often do you think they're going to show up in the future? Uh, um, I, I would broaden uh, that a little bit. I mean, yeah. please do answer that. But how aware are all of you about the fan communities? Uh, we're pretty aware, I think. We read the Internet, and um, I see them all the time uh, in person. <laughs> uh, at conventions, um, and I talk to everybody, um, but you know, you never know when anything's going to take off. You just do stuff because it's fun. Uh, and Natasha Allegri designed those characters, the the Fiona Kate characters, uh, and I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! Let's just do it." And then we did it. Um, uh, and there's an episode coming up. There's an episode coming up. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we can talk about it or what. I think. Wait, we, we can we cut could, it out or... if you want. Wait, can we talk about it? I don't think they're. I think they left. They're gone. <laughs> All right. Well, then. The Cartoon Network. You absolutely. Well, no, because they said we it. could say that Donald Glover was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's been released. Donald Glover's um, the Marceline gender gender bent counterpart, uh, Marshall Lee, um, and he's so phenomenal. And there's a song in it, and he he sings it and and raps, and it's it's so good. And he's super funny. Yeah. 
That's, that's really exciting. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a personal uh, request, and I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. Um, a, little, a little bit of lo- can we hear a little bit of Lumpy Space Princess? Yeah, I heard you. Oh my God! Yes, I, this is little Lumpy Space Princess, <laughs> and I can't act without yelling. I ha- that's how I talk. That's I have to do really emotional stuff with her and. Uh, I can't be. It's hard to. It's hard to act. That's the. That's the. Um, it's hard. And you. Th- and most people think it's like, oh, I could do that, and I try, man. But I can only get like. I can only get emotional if I'm screaming. That's how I cover up that I can't act is by screaming as loud as I can. Uh, I think if you want to hear Crystal Guardian number four, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to request. Yeah. Do you mind? It sounded just like that, actually. That was the... um, I think the... Eh, forget it. Uh, before we wrap up, what are you guys watching on television? What are you guys talking about in your rooms to each other? What's getting you excited to write more television? Um, starting with Penn and coming down this way. Um, I like Bob's Burgers a lot. I like it so much... That when I watch it the first time, I'm not even taking it in. I'm just cho- my, I start choking because I like it so much. I'm just like, uh, 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 uh. Uh, and then I can watch a rerun of it, and I'll be like, ah, and I can like laugh at the jokes. Uh, and it, uh, and I went on like the Fox like um, forums for it, and like yelled, like cursed at people, and said, if you don't fucking like Bob's Burgers, you can go fucking rot in hell. And my posts didn't get put up. They were were taken down. Uh, I'm so into it. Um, That first season was great. Uh, So heartfelt. Um, I really like it. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Yeah. Uh, I got into L.A. Complex like a week before this was planned. And so, and I was like, whoa. And I was like really into it. And I was watching it with my friends. And we were like texting, like texting quotes during the day. Um, And uh, and then you followed me. And I remember I went on and it was like, you you know, uh, it was like, you're being followed by the creator of the L.A. Complex. And I was just like. What? I, I, and I, I didn't know what was happening. Like I thought, it, I was like, I don't. What? Like, how, like, is this a practical joke or what? Is, is it my friend created this account? Yeah, yeah. And then I went to your page and I was like, oh, we're doing a thing. To, uh, but that really freaked me out. But uh, and and uh, I also like Boardwalk Empire. I'm gonna go home and watch that tonight. Uh, that show's great. Um, and then yeah, every Mad Men and Breaking Bad and. Uh, yeah, the same. I mean, I, I'm, I love Adventure Time. I just spent most of the day watching, catching up on season four. Uh, it was, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, anyway. Uh, He's not just saying that. I gave Martin two dates when he could come do this. Yeah. And I said, uh, Penn and Kent are booked for this one, and someone else was booked for the other one. He was, I was like, like, fuck that other guy. Yeah, Adventure Time. <laughs> Sign uh, me up. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just watched Homeland, which I think is really, I mean... Deserves kind of all the hype I think it's getting. It's really, really strong, super difficult show to do, and um, um, uh, and then uh, you know I think Survivor is really good. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, I can't believe this is like season three hundred and ten or whatever. Survivor. I don't understand how I'm so engaged in it continually. They they are they are masters at like really. I don't know. They've really. 
people have figured out how to play Survivor, and then they've also figured out how to give me just enough information all the time where I'm always shocked at what happens. And, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I think a lot can be gleaned from uh, reality television, and I, I don't think it's like the enemy that a lot of other writers do. Because, uh, you know, it's written, by the way. <laughs> it's fully produced and written, just like any other TV show is. And um, Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jersey, I mean, it's not... Jersey Shore? Yeah, this is written by the producers. I don't want to. I don't want to break it to you, but the Jersey Shore is not hmm. is not just like a closed circuit television feed to those people's <laughs> lives. Uh, <laughs> well, I know that it's like edited so that it looks. There's an amazing clip on the internet know. where like somebody took way more time than they probably should have to like show like because occasionally in these fights the producers are in are in uh, on like you know because the camera's just whipping around and you just see the producers there just like throwing ice and like pointing at who's not being fought with enough and uh, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, we did an arc on the show about uh, celebrity rehab, which I think is like so just crazy that they even pretend that any of that is altruistic at all. <laughs> it's like we're doing good work here. We're good. These people are getting better. Uh, all of them are addicted to fame. So that's that's a crazy thing to put them on a TV show to cure them of their addictions. But um, um, I went off on a weird tangent. Anyway, Survivor's great. Uh, and then, of course, like, you know, uh, I think AMC is doing, like, s- truly kind of extraordinary stuff. Uh, and and uh, and all of the Adult Swim stuff, I, I'm so glad that exists, uh, even though I don't love it all universally. But it's just, like, it's really great to see super strange stuff uh, uh, find a home on television. And then I, I'm just getting caught up with Louie as well. I'm a voracious television watcher, but I think Louie is, is uh, it really reminds me of the Cosby show in a in a lot of ways um, in that it's like if you watch early seasons of the Cosby show there's no plot like it's like the first act's about him making a sandwich and the second act Theo has detention and then the third act Rudy needs to learn how to share and it all feels like a continuous television show and you're like this is great and that's to me what like Louis is it's just like a real gathering of of just amazing ideas and yeah that's what I'm watching it's great uh, please give a round of applause to our panelists Martin Garrow, Kent Osborne, and Pendleton Ward. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries at Meltdown Comics and to 826 LA. Now leaving Nerdist.com.